the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 15, recorded Friday, May 3rd, 2013, in CIS Anaheim. Welcome to EdTech, the education-focused podcast uh, put on to you by the fine folks at AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright. I'll be your host for the day. Uh, with us this week, as always, or this month, as always, is Mr. Scott Tyner. He is from Bates College in beautiful northeastern U.S. I almost said northeastern Maine, <laughs> sir. It, you know, you can you can say whatever you want. You're, you're the host. Well, Thank you for having me today. It's going to be a fun time. He's from beautiful downtown Bates. Where, where, where is Bates again? Bates what? is in the wonderful city of Lewiston, Maine. Lewiston, Maine. Is it named for anyone? Like anyone famous? Um, is Maine? Um, no, I Lewiston, not Maine. Lewiston. <laughs> no, no, no one's famous from Maine. What? Scott, yeah, isn't uh, doesn't Stephen King work, live up there? Yes, yeah, Stephen King. You're right about there that. I'm sorry. No, no one from uh, Lewiston is famous, besides me. I besides mean, I'm a you. pretty well-known guy. Yes. It, it's not Canada, but you can see it from there. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty important. You know, my, my library smells of mahogany and leather. Jeez. <laughs> that okay. could have gone to a very dark it place. could have. <laughs> that voice right there is Mr. Matt Silverman. He is from George Mason University. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, and last but not least, uh, from gorgeous, sunny but burning California. Uh, Eagling in the background. That's, that sounds like the winds in the background now. It does. Uh, uh, is our buddy, Mr. Greg Brown. How are you, sir? Hello, guys. Hello, world. Yay. Uh, this month, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Um, good Lord. <laughs> we have projectors. We have uh, projectors on tablets. And um, we have one thing that we're going to kick off the show with. Um, this is our, our April edition, even though it's May 3rd that we're recording this, um, because I don't know how to use a calendar, basically. Um, and, and that it's is... under the floodwaters, right? It, it was. It was. Uh, I, I'm in St. Louis, so we're, you know, we had a couple of inches of feet of floodwater here. Um, and that was the, the dust-up over the Crestron and Extron and AMX switcher videos. Uh, brief recap, Crestron posted a couple videos comparing their switchers and their um, HD video handling devices versus an Extron and an AMX, respectively. Um, Extron took exception to it, made their own video. AMX eventually did the same thing. Uh, Mr. Tyner, you were going to kick it off with you because you actually wrote a blog post about this uh, on the Fine uh, Rave Publications website. What was your take um, overall, uh, now that everything has been said and done and even AMX has gotten into, into the fray, what was your, t- your your final bottom line take on this? Um, my final take was much like AMX's, which was, who cares? Amen. Y- you know, I mean, literally, we're talking about milliseconds here. And uh, that that was the point of, of the article I wrote, which is, 
you know, you, you can look at the crash on video and just, and say, yeah, I see. And I did. I, you know, boy, that's a little weird. They did that that way. Just even with some of the cuts and the like, you could also look at the extra on video and say, you know, just because they show us a time on the screen doesn't mean, you know, that's actually the time. But in the end, why are they fighting over something that just simply doesn't matter? I, that's what I don't get. Yeah, I don't either. And that was the, the – I also got into the fray and wrote one myself. And that was kind of my thing. Uh, I did take both of them to task because at the point that I wrote mine, AMX hadn't even mentioned anything yet because they both could have done a better job on the video. This is you know the broadcaster and me going, you know, well, you could have done this and you should have done that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's much ado about nothing, especially guys like us who, you know what, we have to worry about professors pushing buttons multiple times. If it's a second or two difference, big whoop. Um, ten years ago, not even ten years ago, five or six years ago, when they were showing us the first uh, HD switchers, they were pushing 30 seconds, depending on the, uh-huh. on the device that they were feeding it, right? I mean, I think it was the Apple TV took up to 30 seconds to, to negotiate the handshake. Now, the, the color issues that Crushron purported to show, um, I think those are, those are more problematic, and that's, worth, that's something worth talking about um, and, and doing a video about. But literally, when you've got to put a timer on the screen that goes to, like, you know, hundredths of a second, well, th- th- then you've obviously you're, – you're making your point that it's a stupid video. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that's what AMX said. AMX, Amen. Won, Amen. AMX won that battle so good, which was like – we're not even going to bother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Brown, what was your, your final tabulation of this, uh, of this uh, hoo-ha? Yawn. Yawn. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, okay, great. Monitor A is 0.3 seconds. Monitor B is 0.5 seconds. I am undoubtedly going to use brand C, and it's going to be, I don't know, 0.7 seconds or something like that. I mean, big whoop. I mean, sort of, I, I haven't seen the AMX response, but... Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like, you know, a, a pox on both your houses. I mean, Prestron, if you are going to do a, a a video where you bring somebody else's equipment in and do a a shootout and I'm doing the the little air finger quotes on on the shootout there, you know, do your freaking homework and and make it look like a legitimate shootout, which it really didn't. On the flip side, as far as the, you know, NCIS Anaheim episode, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, guys, Extron, you guys make a lot of great equipment and I love it and I have friends there, but you guys take yourself way too seriously some days, like most days. <laughs> like most anyway, days that end in Y. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it, it should it should have been. It, I think it would the the Extron video would have worked much better as a little as as a little. Hey, you know, well, you know, what about this? What about this? Hey, we don't know this. We don't know that. You know, a little bit more. Point out the things, but in a little bit more sort of casual. Don't take it too serious, sort of thing. Yeah, they did take but, it very seriously. <laughs> oh God, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, almost creepily so. Anyway, let me stop before I get myself in trouble. Uh, Mr. Silverman, uh, you're you're the final one on this on this uh, tabulation. What's the what does it come down for you? Ah, you know, I've been thinking about this one for a while, and for me, what it actually I think demonstrates is something Scott kind of touched on is how out of sync 
at times I think manufacturers and even by proxy integrators can be with yep. their users. And like, that this isn't what we care about. And I, I was actually thinking back to the first Crestron DM presentation I ever went to where I sat through two hours of similar presentations where they told me every little technical thing. And at the end of the day, the thing which I actually came back and said, you know, do you know what sells this for me? The fact that you can transcode any signal I put in to one signal out. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. That fixes so many problems. You should be selling the product based on that. I can pitch that to my administration. I can pitch that to my colleagues. This solves a problem I need. And it just strikes me that in the industry, we're often trying to create solutions in search of a problem. And that's a real big, a real big issue for us in the industry is that we're not, um, we're not actually trying to solve real-world problems. The other thing which occurred to me was something uh, from, something from, uh, from the IT industry was uh, network computing has had it for years, something called the real-world labs. And it's where they, as a trade publication, actually tested network gear in an actual application scenario, uh, which I always found was kind of interesting. And actually, in the early days, like when wireless products were coming out, you know, manufacturers made bold claims about how far their product would reach, and they said, okay, let's test it in a typical office scenario. And I think we've always missed that in this industry. We just don't have anyone who's doing that kind of neutral or independent third-party testing. A so, plug fest yeah. sort of thing. Well, let me ask you guys then a question then. Is it yeah. uh, back in the, in the 90s, you know, they, they had the start of the projector shootout. And, and nowadays, um, more than one person wrote about this. You know, it, it's kind of a silly thing. <clears throat> um, Brad Grimes uh, from Infocom actually wrote a very good um, blog about this, and he didn't mention any names, but you knew who, you know, he said, you know, I think manufacturer A, B, and C, I think. Um, but he said, you know what, have a UL listed um, site and, you know, do an actual scientific test where kind of what Matt's talking about, you bring in the products and, and you know, make them, make them apples to apples, right? If you're doing HDMI switchers, make do HDMI switchers, right? Um, and get the, the same begin points and end points and this, that, and the other. Is there, is there maybe room for that for another, an actual, you know, scientific empirical study shootout like thing? I, I don't think so because I mean, if, if like you mentioned, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, this discussion, if we were talking about things taking 45 seconds to switch or 60 seconds to switch, maybe, but I mean, again, we're talking about milliseconds. So, Again, I, I think the issue with color, you know, we all see that with digital sometimes. I think that's maybe something that would be interesting to see in a real in a real world setting. I truly believe that some of this started out uh, with a couple of dudes at Crestron just sitting in their test lab and like, hey, let's videotape this. <laughs> that's how and, it came across. And that's somehow it ended up on YouTube, across. you know? Yeah. And, and, and that was just the wrong way to do it if you're gonna if you're gonna bring a, 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 a another manufacturer into the battle. No, and in, in all fairness, I believe that video, and I may be wrong about it, it was out on YouTube, but it was actually um, inside of an authenticated piece of Crestron's uh, website to get to it. That doesn't mean it excuses it, but I'm not sure 
I guess, if anyone was from marketing or public relations or anyone may have really thought about that one before it went out. Well, and this is, and then I'm not trying to pick on Crestron here, yeah. but somebody put thought into it because they edited it. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> this is not, that was one of my points of contention with them. It's like, look, oh, guys, yeah. if you're oh, going to do a, a side-by-side comparison, don't freaking edit your stuff. That was the one thing that, that even Scott mentioned about Extrons. You know, it's, it, he showed us everything. You know, so Greg, you didn't see the AMX one, but the, the best AMX line they had was, do you know what the fastest switcher is? It's people who switch from Crestron and, and, and Extron to AMX oh, after they use their equipment. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, you know, you've got to watch AMXs, and anybody who's listening has got to watch AMXs because it was yeah. just, that was classic good marketing. Yeah. They, they, they brought a gun to a knife fight, and it was appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> very well done. I love it. I do too. Uh, all right. Well, we're we're gonna stick with 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 Extron for a second here, um, and not for nothing, but because uh, they do make some good products, even though we we poke fun at them from time to time. Uh, You're years, choking on that line. There, I am not Tim. choking on the line. It, we they do make some good products. None of them happen happen to be digital products, but hey, um, <laughs> I, I say Ooh. that I say that in love because we're going to talk about a digital product. Uh, years and years ago, they came out with a product called an IN1508, Ice Cream Nancy1508. Uh, it was, in my estimation, probably one of the world's best switcher scalers. I mean, it, it just did, it just worked, right? It was a tank. Um, I, I have one excellent piece of equipment. I have, I have several. That's actually, you know, was that like I have more than one integrator friend. Like you have to use this thing. It's great. Um, well, the one downside about it is it doesn't do digital. It doesn't do HDMI, right? It doesn't do HDMI with content protection, at least. Um, it does have a DVI switch but I'm, or port, but I'm not going to get into that. Now they have a digital IN1508. It's called an IN1608. And according to the specs, it does do content protection. Um, it has about four HDMI ports, uh, inputs rather, uh, and two, um, uh, DB15s, you know, what we commonly call VGA connectors. Um, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. Is this something that they probably had to come up with to, you know, the evolution of the 1508? Um, or was this, you know, we, we kind of talked about this, was this a solution to a current, a current problem? Well, I, I was really happy when I finally saw this product because... That I think they are getting closer to getting it right, and I mean, and it, it, this is a really nice one. For the first time, they actually don't tell you you have one box which is your switcher, and now you need another box which is your long haul uh, cable because mm-hmm. it has the built-in XTP. Uh, I think it's XTP or maybe something similar DG, to that. DTP. DTP. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite sure, honestly, what the difference is between XTP and DTP. So. Uh, but the idea is that you can actually get it to your projector without needing to have a second box. And I've had this conversation with a lot of their reps. And I'm like, we don't want 17 boxes. We want compact and easy-to-use solutions. So I look at this, and I think in most conference room or uh, classroom scenarios, this is actually probably a really workable solution. And I'm really happy it's out. It just seems like it took forever to get to market. And at least for me, I've already adopted an architecture, so while it's a neat product, um, it's not something which I'll be looking at because I'm already invested, you know, actually in my second generation of digital. So 
it's great. I just think it's a little late to market. Um, I remember the 1508. I remember the same sort of issues you remember with the 1508, actually. It was really great after they got to about the fourth or fifth firmware on it. Uh, but I think it's a good product. And I think if someone hasn't made the switch to digital, um, I think it's something they should look at. Uh, I think, though, it has some competitors. There's an Aurora multimedia product, which is very similar. Um, I think, you know, Crestron has the whole DMPS line, which is a little bit similar, but a little bit different. But I think it's hitting a good price point. And I think for some people who may have been waiting for that Xtron branded solution, it's going to be uh, what works for them. That's a good point. Uh, Scott, is this, like, like Matt said, it's, it's, it's a good solution for, for Xtron to finally have something that's similar to, it's not quite DMPS because there's no programming, there's not a, a control system in it, but it does have, you know, you have multiple, you have two, you know, analog inputs and the rest of them are digital. So, uh, Matt, what is the price point of that? Do you know? Um, give me a sec. I'll get, I think. Okay. So here's, because here's my take on it, and I, and I agree with so much of what you say, Matt, which is, um, it's it's a good product, but it's it's just a little late, right? I'm already invested in something, and yet I hate to. We're going to sound like this is we're no longer the Crestron fanboys. I hate to reward Crestron for that, because I truly believe that for the past couple of years we have been beta testing products for Crestron, <clears throat> and as as we've done it, um, we've become invested in them. But I've had some issues over the past few years that I never had before. Um, and I really do actually think that Exxon puts something out when they know it'll work. Um, is, is this actually available? Because that's my other question, right? Because that's the other thing Exxon does. They <laughs> tell you about something, but it doesn't actually come out for a year and a half. Well, it uh, says call for, for, uh, um, for price. Right. So. That's what I'm looking at, too. That's why I, I couldn't see the price point, and it doesn't tell me. It usually though it does say shipping on such a date, so I'm assuming yeah. that this is ready to go. I actually think it's an interesting product, and even though I am uh, dedicated into some of the DM products, I'm actually going to take a look at this and think that if I can pair this up with a CP2E or something at a fairly low price point, much less expensive than um, you know some other solutions. Maybe I guess depending on what the price depending point on what is. The price point, yeah. Uh, Mr. Brown, is this something that is, you know, it's a good thing for Extron to, to come out with uh, with a digital solution here? Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I agree with everybody. I'm, I'm curious to know what exactly the price point is and whether it is, is, is shipping, but um, it looks like a good unit. They clearly, they, they clearly did their homework. And over the last couple of years, they've, they've come out with some things where I look at it and I'm like, I'm not quite sure what they were thinking. Um, this, this, I, I understand the use for this, and I think this is a very useful piece for a lot of people. And um, yeah, like like the other guys, it would have it would have been impressive a year ago, but I'm glad to see they got it out. Well, let me ask you guys a question about that in general. A, the you know, uh, I think Scott or uh, uh, Matt said you know they don't put anything out unless it's ready. Um, that's true, but the question then is, um, do they need to hire more engineers? <laughs> because no. Well, I'm just I'm I'm asking in in general because it's there is a legitimate concern here as people who have Extron products and and um, there are people who are are Extron fanboys just like there are AMX fanboys and Crestron and Aurora, um, and if you're dedicated and sold into that company, um, the last couple of years you've been kind of 
sitting, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for them to come out with something um, that is legitimate and stable for some sort of, you know, twisted pair with digital and, and, and content protection. So do they need to hire better or more engineers? I think they need, and this is something I'm going to criticize across the board with a lot of these companies, I think they need to start putting together roadmaps and actually working with their end users, not necessarily the integrators or not necessarily the consultants, like a lot of the computing and networking manufacturers do to treat us like partners more even more so than some of the current partner programs and work with us on developmental um, roadmaps so we can actually build architectures alongside our partner companies and that we're not sitting there twirling our thumbs and wondering when are they finally going to deliver the product we <clears throat> need you know well i would say matt and you might have a different answer to this but tim or or well greg might too at the size of the school you're at but tim when how many um, faculty or, st or students have come into your classrooms and, and demanded an HDMI auxiliary connection? One. <laughs> exactly. But we've been sold now for four years that this is – I mean you, you just get a switch and switch immediately and spend thousands of dollars to do it. And like there's just no choice and yet because they want us to buy their stuff. Well, and it, to, to that end, I mean, it, one of my good friends is, is Kevin Iselli. He used to be my, my, my education rep for Crestron, and um, he and I went, went after, not went after, it didn't sound like we had a fight, but um, we had a tiff. Um, we, uh, I, I pushed back for a long time. I said, you know what, there's, there's no way that people are going to sit around, and, and I'm, I, I was sitting in my, you know, my ivory tower ensconced in, in, in education. I said, there's no way that people are going to allow this to happen, and I was talking about the, the, the analog sunset, and I was wrong. You know, I mean, there's there's not much we, we can do, and so I, I have changed my position to one of you don't have to do anything to you're going to have to do it when when the demand is there, and every education facility is different, right? Um, there are places like MIT, and, and I'm imagining this, I don't, I don't I don't, I don't. I don't work for MIT. I don't know anybody there. But I'm imagining that those guys are pretty high tech, right? They're they're on the cutting, bleeding edge of technology, and so they've probably had HDMI since 1974 for crying out I, loud. I think they created it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but guys like me, right? I'm in the Midwest for crying out loud. They call it flyover country for a reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I just got the white album. Um, <laughs> a joke, folks. Um, those guys are dead, Tim. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> they're not putting out any more albums. Um, but but you know, we, we... I'm, I'm surprised Matt and Scott understand the White Album. Well, I, I am too. Oh. But um, but you know, I still buy a, a, you know VCR DVD combos because exactly. my faculty demand that, right? Yeah. I have one gentleman who is got. God love him. He's 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 real big on technology. He sometimes he 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 tells me stuff. You know, he he teaches me some stuff on technology, and I've hooked up. He has one room. He teaches um, he teaches film history and, and a couple other art classes, but um, he he wants you know a, a digital connection to his projector, and so I've I've, I've hooked him up, and that's that is my one um, digital infrastructure room that actually gets used. Um, what. I, Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I was going to say that, but I, I, I don't have this huge, giant, 
anxiety push to, oh my gosh, I have to get all of these done by, you know, last December, or I have to get them done by 2015, which is, you know, when the rumor that, that there will be no more VGA connections. Um, you have not missed the boat. No, and I don't think we have. Um, right. And so I, I, I appreciate what Crestron has done. I have some of their product, but I didn't feel this great, huge push four years ago um, to get, oh my gosh, I have to get all this stuff because the, the analog is going away. I guess I'm just too stubborn <laughs> to, to buy into it. I mean, another perspective to look at, and this is kind of where we went, is we knew day one we were ahead of the curve. Yeah. But when we're looking at our inventory right now, which is I think we're going to be approaching 225 classrooms next fall, we, we start looking and saying we can't upgrade all at once. For us, it's about a seven-year cycle to hit everything. So it wasn't necessarily about where we needed to be when we started, but it was more when did we think it was going to be mandatory when we ended. So mm. we had 100% coverage when we felt that people would start being upset that we don't have digital. Um, last time I looked at our statistics, which has been a while, uh, our number one device used in a classroom is the PC in classroom, and we have one a PC in every classroom. Seventy-three mm percent, -hmm. I think, was the uh, utilization. So of everything that's used in a classroom, seventy-three percent of the utilization is the PC we put in the classroom. So everything else is quite secondary if you think about that. But what we're seeing is when we look at auxiliary HDMI versus auxiliary VGA, I think we're running about 50-50 now um in current in current data on how many people are using one versus the other wow yeah and is that is that what you're finding scott um no that's not what we're finding we we have people with you know rgb still coming in vga uh we're getting to a point now and this this is what i this is why i was getting at which i think extron's actually got decent timing on this mm -hmm. where people want to bring in ipads and you know the new ipads their dongles are hdmi mm -hmm. and so that's where we're starting to see some of the change um but you know i don't like you tim we we haven't missed the boat i mean we've switched some to digital but um I think, you know, again, well, and you've got to give them credit as well. Crestron has been brilliant marketers on this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think they, um, they, they are in a little bit different position in that I think this, if I can say delay to market or coming to market later, I, I think they could, get they could get away with it better than AMX or Crestron because I think a larger percentage of the people who use the use Extron are the, oh, they're going to see this as a pejorative, but the, the, the kludgers, they're the ones who are adding the, the single digital input with, you know, the CAD extenders plugged direct into the projector or something like that. They're, they're, they're whiz-banging some sort of input if they really need it. I think that's, I, I just get the impression that's a lot more common amongst your Extron users. And so maybe they were in a position where they could handle coming to market a little bit later than everybody else. And and just for the record, we had somebody uh, using a Microsoft Surface to present just recently. Oh wow! What was yeah. the connection? On, what's the connection on that? Well, we're trying to figure that out because. Um, <laughs> oh jeez! So it wasn't successful. Oh so, yeah. Guess. Well, well uh, no, we we all know about it because it came in as multiple trouble. Actually, uh, it was not only multiple trouble calls. It was. Uh, 
it was a webcast class, so we were all going back and looking over the gruesome video of you know the projection failing mid-class three weeks in a row. And it, and it was really bizarre because it would be working one moment, and then the picture would freeze, go to black and white, pixelate. Um, yeah, that was it. Frozen black and white pixels. Greg, next time that happens, uh, bring in a document camera and just put the the surface <laughs> under, under the document camera. <laughs> or get Steve Summers on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually had that thought, but you know, let's just say I wasn't at that, that particular point going to suggest it. But uh, <laughs> we 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 think it might be an adapter issue. I mean, the only thing we've got in that room is a is a VGA input as far as a as far as a, a, a laptop connection. So it's got to be a you know an HDMI to to VGA or a Display Port to VGA or something like that. I, I hate to admit this, but I have done that before on a on an old Mac that I couldn't oh, get. No. I have no seriously. It was it was one of those professors where I'm using this device, come hell or high water, and I'm like, I da okay, here we go. You just admitted that on air. Tim. I did. <laughs> and what's sad is it halfway worked. It wasn't horrible. It, it, it wasn't. It now. wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. I mean, I don't know. All right. Uh, one more time around the horn. We'll kick around Extron uh, here for something. Uh, Mr. Silverman, you have opened my eyes to something called collaborative um, collaborative technology, right, where, where a bunch of people are getting together. And um, we've talked about this a couple times on the show, whether it was uh, furniture or just technology that, that helps people get things done, right? Um, I'm not using that because somebody has that phrase trademarked and they sell a really good product, you know, uh, doing that. Um, but uh, they, Extron has come up with something called teamwork uh, and it's digital and it's collaborative and it's it's something that uh, I think in your email said that it, it was Extron uh, letting me go, hmm, that's kind of cool. Yep. No. Um, it's it's an interesting product they just they just released and it's a follow up on an analog product they had which was a Show Me uh, VGA switcher. Uh, basically, it's an HDMI cable with a button, mm -hmm. which I think is phenomenal. It's that whole simplistic user interface. You know, assuming you have the system set up, you basically you plug the HDMI cable in, you hit the button, and it shows your display. And they have these, I believe, in uh, four-user and six-user varieties. My biggest beef, and I, I couldn't have a conversation, I guess, without having a beef with a product, um, is or that... Or No, no, I, I, I think I'm equal opportunity um, on, on most product reviews, is, once again, we're separating analog and digital. And their solution to bring analog in is ungodly expensive you need another three boxes and cables and things and effectively you run a vga into a converter box into your teamwork thing but it's a good step in the right direction uh i think the cable is utterly brilliant i actually wish mm -hmm. i could just buy the cable as a standalone thing um i have a project i'm doing right now where i actually tried to get some cable manufacturers to build me that cable and no one was really willing to do it. Uh, so I think they hit that one dead on. Uh, I think, again, five years from now when we're like 85% digital and your VGA port is abnormally 
you know, this is going to be a kick-ass, everyone's going to want a solution. It just It's another one of these rough transitional products where you need to take a teamwork uh, setup plus a show-me setup to create a supports-everyone uh, collaboration area. But it's definitely heading in the right direction. So I, I think this is, this is a good product. I think it's going to be a strong competitor with uh, the steel case. Um, what is there? A Mediascape. Mm-hmm. Mediascape line. And I think it's probably what we're seeing is they're actually earlier to market because I think we may see a lot more of these coming out at the show this year. Oh, very cool. Uh, Greg, is this something where at UCLA that you guys could put in place as as Scott or as Matt said, it's kind of a transition product for you know situations where you need collaboration. That that's a good question. The whole collaboration end of things is is something we're trying to figure out, and it's it, it's it's more political issues than technical issues, as is most of this stuff. Um, it's a neat product. Yeah, everybody's jumping into it. I, I agree with Matt that, yeah, this is, is something we're going to be seeing a lot more of. The, the, the separation of analog and digital, yeah, does sort of bother me a little. I, but then I'm like, well, what do you want? Like a hybrid of a, a switcher that's a mix? What are you going to do with cables? It's like, ew, this is a a hell of a time to be jumping into this sort of right it, it's a hell of a time for you know this collaborative type stuff to get really popular just as we're trying <laughs> to figure out what our connection is going to be this month um but um yeah good product i like it uh mr tyner is this because you you're familiar with the other uh collaborative products is this something where uh, Extron is is actually kind of leading the freight, the leading the front here because of digital and and I agree with with Matt the 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 cable itself is is brilliant. Right, and this is we're going to buy one as soon as they come out. We've um, we have a we had a project going on with our library where they were looking at the steel case product, um, which you know is is a decent product. It's essentially the same thing, mm-hmm. um, just add a few zeros after it, and <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we were telling our library, you know, if you buy that, then, you know, you're, you're going to have to deal with the furniture company for technical support. We actually had come to a point where we were going to actually build them a, a little, a similar thing. Obviously, we couldn't get that. We couldn't do that cable. Um, it was going to be a little push button. And when I saw this, I, I said, fantastic. I mean, we don't, you know, buy, buy a regular table. We'll put up an LCD panel, throw this in, and you've got exactly what you need. Um, I think it's great. I think if I was going to have... Um, one issue with it, it's actually the size of it. Um, mm. Just as a whole and all of the equipment, it's, it's bulky. Um, and finding a place to hide some of that is going to be um, hard for us to do. But uh, I think it's fantastic that it's, it's a major you know, AV company that's putting this out rather than a, a furniture company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see us using this in a, in a lot of spaces because it does come at a pretty, a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one thing that always scares me. And anytime uh, a furniture company says, "Hey, we have tech," oh, where'd you get it? Right. And well, actually, in the case of uh, steel case, that would be uh, Altenex. Oh well, that, 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 that that's yeah. a, it's, it, that's who makes their guts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll tell you though. You know, it sounds like Scott, you're running into the same thing that you know is my concern about the number of pieces you need to make it all run. 
I'll tell you, just an open challenge to any manufacturer who may happen to be looking or listening to this show. You know, give us a product for VGA, for HDMI, to HDMI out, and I think we'd love you forever. Mm. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Very. For this sort of an application? That's, yeah, that that's a, I don't know, that's a, that's a heck of a switcher to be putting under, you know, you got eight, ten tables in a room or something like that. That's. But if, if you know. look at the, I mean, there's a couple of people who have product like that. Actually, the Xtron um, 1608 isn't too far off of that. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't yeah, have the, the, the cables. Uh, Presentation Switchers actually has a product, which is an undertable product. Which has all those inputs, just not exactly the outputs. Well, and let's be frank here. I, mean, I could put a sixteen away under the table with the, mm-hmm. with the right mounting hardware. Uh, I did that with MA uh, MA two hundred sevens for years. Mm-hmm. And you know what we're thinking about when we do this is uh, again some little things that the Xtron put out that just make me very happy are their um, little dongle security things. Those so are we're, slick. Yeah, Those so we're going to take this. Cool. We're going to throw on the uh, Thunderbolt to HDMI adapter, and and boom, we, they, they can't get stolen. People with Macs can use them. People with you know mm. PCs can use it. There you go. Very cool. K- kudos to Extron. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> See, we don't hate you. We, we, we just question you sometimes. Uh, you're listening to EdTech. That gentleman right there was, was Scott Tyner. He's from Bake College. Uh, Matthew Silverman is also here from George Mason U- University and Greg Brown at UCLA. Um, from Gizmoto, how many of you knew this was going to happen? The first tablet projector. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, it's something called Lumitab. Of course it is. Uh, and it says um, that you can get a 100-inch display out of it. <clears throat> and if you look down farther, it says it's a 35-lumen projector. Now, did, did, did you see that? four by 480. Yeah. There you go. That's startling resolution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we could, you, could, you could like play Pong on that. You could. In in a very dark room, as they say. <laughs> I, was, I was speaking to the resolution, but yes. 30, if you go in a 35 closet, lumens, thirty-five lumens, eight fifty-four by four eighty. That's um, I'm I'm thinking this has somewhat limitations as as far as your your applications. Here's what I, here's what I read. Let me let me translate one sentence here for you, okay. because the fact is that we'll talk about this in a, in, a, in a minute. People don't care about TVs or displays anymore. They care about looking at it on their tablet. And so when they write, corporate honchos who live and die by PowerPoint presentations are surely smiling ear to ear now. What they should have wrote is, old dudes who still need something up on a big screen. (laughs) Yeah. So when I sent this out, let's say I was thinking more about the concept than the actual implementation here. Oh. But it, it was... It was something I kind of looked at, and I said, well, this is neat. And then I looked at all the specs, and I said, yeah, never going to buy this one. But um, it, it's kind of the thought, and, you know, we've, we've tossed around the Pico projectors, and mm-hmm. um, not they they've really haven't landed well here. But it kind of struck me that as we start doing, again, these collaborative, these flipped classrooms, these more team-based learning, 
wouldn't it be neat if rather than having to install all this infrastructure for small groups, they could actually just project from the devices they were using in the small groups? And okay. I thought I thought as an application, it has potential. Maybe this isn't the best implementation, but I could definitely see something like this actually reducing costs if they could implement it well. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that, of people bringing these sorts of, of things in, you know, this bring your own device, you know, is, gonna, is not only going to be, you know, the, the, the tablets that our IT folks all know and love, but, you know, it's going to become things with projectors and bigger screens, perhaps, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a growth industry. And see, I, I, I'm of the opposite opinion altogether. I, I think things like this are like Scott said, for the old guys who need something big on the, on the wall, I think you need to look and, and watch people who do some sort of share casting technology mm. because it, all of us here know somebody who is, you know, let's say markedly younger than all of us. Um, whether it's, it's, you know, nieces, nephews, you know, my kids, these kids, these students coming up, they couldn't care less about a big screen. They couldn't care less about what's up on the wall They're They want what's in their hand right now. And you give them the ability to, you give uh, professors the ability to take over the tablet that's in the kid's hand and project on there. And then let's get real crazy. Give the kid the opportunity to um, annotate on his own tab what the professor's talking about, I think that right there is is kind of where where we need to be going, rather than the other way uh, the other way with tablets, which is you know let's slap a Pico projector on it. You know, good for them for for coming up with it, but I, I don't know that this is this is where we're headed. Yeah, you and I are on the exact same page with that, which is which is and and I go over this over and over again with with schools. I just, I think it's hilarious when they tell kids they got to put their tablets and their phones away. It's like how about you let them use it? How about you yeah. put the yeah. image on it? They want it in their hands, they so put it. it in their hands. Yep. And there, there there are people out there much much smarter than I am that can give you the opportunity. I mean, it, to to overtake a tablet's image. I mean, especially if you if the if the school provides the tablet for them well then you can put the software on there um and then yeah give give them the opportunity to kind of almost kind of kind of a, a reverse airplay right where you yep. have one source and you shoot it out to the multiple devices i just gave somebody a million, a million dollar idea so because <laughs> i'm not smart enough to do it well every, everybody's coming up with their ideas in that field as as far as the, the collaboration type software and the apps and stuff it's but but I think that's part of the problem. Everybody's got their got their own app. They've got their own uh, little thing that they use for that. And you know, someone will run on this tablet, and then they don't run on this tablet. That's a. I I think that area, yeah, it is going to be will will become bigger and hotter if 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 some of those issues can be worked out a little bit better than than they seem to be to me at this point. Well, and there's another story that we were, I was actually going to skip, but we'll go ahead and get into it because it's, it makes perfect sense. Uh, on the New York Times Bits blog, um, uh, Matt, and I don't know how to pronounce the guy's last name, I think Rich Tell, uh, talks about, you know, BYOD or BYOT, as he calls it, bring your own technology. 
where schools in, in Central Florida and Atlanta yeah. and Houston are encouraging the kids, are encouraging the students to bring in their own devices. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something where, depending on where you are, and, and, and every, every parent's going to have their own opinion about, you know, when, when their child should get what technology. But by the time you get into middle school, I'm going to argue that, let's say at least 50% of the students have some sort of technology somewhere, right? Whether that's a Kindle or it's an iPad or it's an iPhone, it's, a, it's an iPod Touch. It's some sort of technology with either iOS or Android. Um, uh, maybe if, if, if their parent is a diehard you know, Microsoft fan, ha- they have a Surface. <laughs> but, um, you know, they have some sort of technology where, like, like um, Scott said, you, you, you let them use it, right? Um, because it's what they already have in their hand. That is so hard, you know, especially for K through 12 schools to do. I've, I've, I've got a post coming up on, on Rave about a, a very similar topic about this, because in, in the state of Maine, um, we have this whole laptop initiative for middle schoolers, and they just awarded the contract to HP instead of Apple. All the middle, you know, all the, everybody's throwing up their arms. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? And my point was... <laughs> You need to be, you, you should, you should realize that if you, you've made a mistake at this point by thinking things are always going to stay the same like that. And, you know, people bringing their own stuff, people whipping out their iPod, their iPod Touch, their iPad, their Slate, it is going to happen. You, we've got to be more flexible. And, you know, if, if you think it's hard in like a, a college, you know, think of what it's like in a, in a K-12 where you've got a, you know, a one to 400, you know, one tech person to 400 user yeah. kind of ratio. Uh, but it, it's... It's where it's got to go, and it, it saves money. It makes sense. It engages people. Well, not only that, but well, also well, it also cuts down on on any sort of learning curve. I mean, you you let kids bring in what they're already using on a day in and day out basis. Um, you don't run into to issues like you know people learning either Macs or PC for the first time. I teach um, audio production at at the college that I work for. I also an adjunct professor, and I teach Pro Tools. And you know, a couple of years ago, we went. We made the transition from PC to from PC to Mac, simply because you know uh, I, I just found that that audio and video editing equipment or software works better on Macs. Well, you get these kids from public schools who have lived with Microsoft products their entire life, and you show them a Mac for the first time, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's an alien, and I don't know what to do with it. It's like, you know. Um, let the let the kids use what they're what they're using on a day in and day out basis, and it, it'll just be a lot a lot more seamless. Well, uh, and I, I, go ahead. Well, and, and with the the bring your own device, I think it's really in a sense going to come down to money in a lot of cases. The the alternative to like 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 Scott was saying there in Maine, and I was I read about that just recently, where you're you're buying all the students' laptops. The the alternative to, I mean, across the state, I mean, you can do that in Maine where you have like, you know, a thousand students or something like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the alternative to bring your own device is you buy a lot of standardized equipment. Bring your own device, you, you let the kids and the parents pay for everything. I mean, you have to like, chain your IT guy to his like you know routers and make him you know fix all the IT problems that 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 raise their ugly head with bring your own device but that's just 
you know, beating up the help, you know, universities are great at that. And it's, and you don't have to spend the money, you know, it's a win-win situation. I think the challenge becomes, though, is actually making sure if you go to a bring your own technology, you can support the instruction, which I think gets lost in here somewhere, which is a lot of times I've seen initiatives like this. And we do a um, a laptop loaner program for our English 101 classes at George Mason, uh, where we actually severely uh, overestimated the demand for this program because it doesn't actually require technology. It's a support functionality where the English 101 kids actually do composition work in class and post it in real time. And we ended up uh, getting some netbooks and we do a loaner program where basically they check it out for the class if they want. And what we found is given the option of checking it out or uh, uh, bringing their own, something like 80% brought their own hmm. because they were familiar with it. But in that case, all we were asking for was a word processor. So you had a lot of free options once you got online. Where we, I've seen challenge with, with this is when we get into more specialized programs where that may or may not happen on the K-12 level. I can't really speak to it. But, you know, uh, our uh, College of Arts uh, has a couple of programs that require Apple laptops for the reason, Tim, you just stated, is they're doing uh, – you know, uh, you know, either video or audio or even uh, photography or graphics, which require a certain platform. Similarly, um, I think our one of our College of Science programs just went to a PC requirement because they have some computational programs which require, uh, you know, a Microsoft platform. So it's a hard place. And then when you get down to us and the people who have to make this all work together. I think the biggest problem is, and particularly with, and I'm going to say an Apple ecosystem, Apple still doesn't play well with others, and it's not an open ecosystem. So one of the big things I see with Bring Your Own Device is you need people who support open standards or open or interoperable technology for us to really get to that point where we can adopt this. Because until you get to the point where you really can have, you can push anything to anything. I, I think it's still going to be a challenge. Yeah, no, that's yeah, a very good that, point. point. I think that some of it is, um, and and I think you're right. I think we're still yeah. moving towards a direction where um, that's going to happen. But I think you know what we've seen with Google and Google Drive and Google Apps and Google um, Docs. You know, I I can't believe that there's still public schools in this country who are paying Microsoft for licensing of Office. Well, I I can. Because you get support from Microsoft, there is no support to speak of from Google. To to um, to type. I, I I understand what you're saying. I don't think it's always as clear cut as free is never free. Free is often free, like in free beer. You only rent it, and then there's sometimes some side effects there. But <laughs> I, 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 I I I I think. I, I, there's always a cost to free. I mean, there's no no one ever gives anything away. And I think what we're seeing, though, is Office 360, I think, is the best example of how a large company has gotten scared, not necessarily of competition, but of being tied to a platform. You know, my, the fact that Microsoft has put 70% or 50% of the functionality of their desktop suite 
into a web-based application speaks volumes because it means you can come from any platform at any location and get the functionality you need. And I think that's that's almost more important like than that Google Docs is free, is okay. that you're now seeing people who are competing in an enterprise environment with virtual applications and virtual services. We have Office 360 posters all over campus right now. Hmm. Yeah, I, I still I, I hear what you're saying, Matt. I, I just think yeah. that um, I think there are some places, and in, in, you know, in, in, in some of the very high-end administration stuff where they might be doing some finance, where they're using Excel mm -hmm. or something. Um, but you know, when you talk about Microsoft support, it's only because the product's so impossible to use. You know <laughs> hey. that you need you need support for it. <laughs> I've never needed support for Google Docs. This is true. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the administrative stuff. Heck, that's what we've got the great big IBM mainframe for. I mean, I know what that bold and italicized <laughs> dot things mean, but I hear what you're saying about free yeah. not always being free. I definitely do. You have an IBM mainframe. We have an IBM mainframe that runs all the all the back backbone stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. We also have 34 IT departments. Good night. All right. On that K. On that note, uh, <laughs> real quickly, uh, another one from from Mr. Silverman, who just likes really cool technology. Uh, Pancast, a panoramic HD video conference call thing. Sucker's got six cameras in it. Um, <laughs> Matt, are you going to use this thing? I I don't know. I I just I, I saw this and I saw their sample video and uh, let's be honest, quality isn't that great. I mean, it's no. a six hundred dollar product, but for six hundred dollars, it's phenomenal. Um, I took a look and I said, you know, in a video conferencing classroom or some of our lecture class capture classrooms, we put a camera on the instructor where standard PTZ works fantastically, but when we try to put a camera on the students we really can't capture the entire classroom. And so yeah. usually it's the camera will be on the half of the classroom that the students are not talking in. And I saw something like this. I said, wouldn't, it be the, wouldn't this be great to put, you know, center room on a front wall facing at your students? And if you're doing lecture capture, if you're doing video conferencing in a classroom environment, you could capture everyone simultaneously. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'd love to see someone like Vadio or Sony or Panasonic or one of the big camera guys do something like this in the pro space. I think it would be fantastic. Yeah, or even uh, you, you have a conference, you know, in the yeah. president's boardroom. You put it in the middle oh, yeah. of the of the conference table, and there you go. You have everybody. Yeah, so. I I think that um, you know video conferencing on that level. I think we've talked about this before. Whether it's Google Hangouts or Skype. Mm -hmm. Or it, it it has just completely blown up here at the college. People are just constantly using it. And one of those struggles that we have, particularly with Skype right now, to be honest with you, is um, keeping uh, products that Skype will recognize. And I have a belief that that's done on purpose. Um, I won't get into my theories on that. But so I think devices like this that give you some alternatives um, to that kind of really low cost or free um, conferencing um, is really cool. No, very cool. Uh, all right, gentlemen, uh, last but not least, we're almost out of time here. We're going to give you guys uh, the chance to um, encourage others to join you at Infocom. Um, both Mr. Greg and uh, Matt Silverman 
are hosting uh, or hosting or, or presenting uh, sessions uh, at teaching sessions uh, in Infocom uh, this year in Orlando. Um, so, uh, Mr. Brown, we'll go. We'll start with you. What uh, what sessions are you presenting this year? Well, actually, the Matt and I are both presenting. Um, uh, along with somebody else whose name escaped me. The name escapes me. Um, who is that, Matt? Uh, Dwayne Smith. Dwayne, that's yes. right. The um, Technology Manager's Survival Guide. Mm, very cool. On um, Wednesday morning at 8 a.m., which should be interesting. But, um, yeah, if anybody is still free on Tuesday, come out and check out the... Um, Technology Managers Symposium, which is um, a full day of uh, of fun-filled sessions. Yeah, that one is is part of the Super Tuesday thing that that Infocom does. Um, yeah. it's kind of cool. You guys are going to be presenting as well as uh, Melissa Dillman from Kramer, and uh, a gentleman that that uh, is from Microsoft, <laughs> Scott Rudit. Um, we, maybe we can ask him about Skype. So. Uh, <laughs> there we go. And Mr. Silverman, um, we have... And you'll be there, too. I, I will be there, too. At, at the, I, I'll be... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what my job is. I think officially I'm moderating or hosting or... I'm getting you guys coffee or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, Matt, is there... Do you, do you get a chance to sleep at any oh. point during Infocom? I Man, yeah, just, just need, he just needs to send a document out with everything he's doing. He, yeah. This yeah. Will be another hour if he's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a couple ones that uh, Greg hasn't mentioned yet. Uh, on Wednesday afternoon, uh, along with Dwayne Smith and Jeremy Parker, I'm doing a session called Enterprise Audiovisual Moving Past Project by Project Thinking. And we're getting into how to build an architecture, how to staff to that, and how to think about support models. And this is what I'll kind of call like an intermediate level uh, technology managers course where we're trying to get into really strategic planning in our support operations. Hmm, okay. Um, I'm also doing one as part of the, um, the standards uh, test uh, group that I'm moderating on audiovisual system performance verification. On Thursday afternoon, we're going to be doing a presentation with a couple of the other guys uh, from the task group on the status of the standard and what's in it. And really it's about helping you deliver uh, the system that you promised. And this is really something for everyone in the industry, whether you're a tech manager, integrator, consultant, or manufacturer, it touches on all of us. And I'll also be giving kind of a shorter version of that at the CTS uh, D and CTSI symposium also on Tuesday, one of the other Super Tuesday sessions. Good Lord. You're doing yeah. how many Super Tuesday sessions? Oh, <laughs> uh, two. Good night, dude. Yeah. I think I'm opening uh, the tech manager's one and uh, sometime in the afternoon on the CTSD, CTSI. Wow. So. You're a busy man. I'm yeah. honored to be in your presence. Me too. <laughs> Shoot. Can I call you a friend? Why aren't you hosting yeah, this? I'm, I, no, I'm joking. That's actually, that's pretty cool stuff. That's very cool. It, it feels good to know somebody else who really needs to get a life too. beyond maybe. Oh well, well, and and not to, not to be outdone, uh, Mr. Tyner is a blogger for Ray Publications. He's written several, and he was recently invited and was on the week with uh, with Joel Rollins. A very very good episode. If you if you haven't checked it out, go to ravepubs. dot com to check it out. Did very good job, sir. Thank you. I have so I've I've learned from the best. 
Greg or Matt? <laughs> All three of you. No, very good, very good episode. Uh, Joel does an incredible job uh, over at Rave Pubs. So yeah, check out that one. Uh, RavePubs.com. His and, and also Scott's blog as well. Did you say you were writing an, a new one? So yeah, the it's um it's actually the column for EdTech. Okay. That's that's going to be coming out in May. Very cool. All right. Well, that is there is is Scott Tyner. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. How can people find you other than uh, Rave Pubs? Uh, I am on Twitter, although I've been um, very absent for the past few weeks from that. Uh, but I'm definitely on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn as well. Very good. Um, Mr. Matthew Silverman, uh, as, in addition to living and breathing Infocom, he also works <laughs> for, uh, for George Mason University. Where can people find you, sir? Uh, occasionally you can find me on Twitter at msilveram, but uh, mostly uh, LinkedIn is the best place to find me right now. Very good. Thank you. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Go Bears. He is the UCLA uh, representative on our, on our panel here. His Go name Bruins. Go whatever. Bruins, Bears, same thing. <laughs> bears are Montana. We've been over this. No, I Bears Bears are in Chicago. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, Go Bears. Go bears. Um, his name is Greg Brown. Where can people find you, sir? Uh, I should have some more inflammatory material for uh, the uh, Infocom All Voices blog. Oh, excellent. Uh, soon. And, um, and also LinkedIn, where I'm about to hit 500... Um, 500 uh, connections oh so, look at you uh, go jesus i'm honored free, to be in your presence no kidding too. free free beer to my 500th uh, <laughs> uh contact am i connected I with guess. you yet all right uh my name is tim already if you'd like to follow follow me um seek professional help go to the website <laughs> avnation.t no if, if you want it's td albright td uh, Tim David Albright, A L B R I G H T. But uh, I would really, really appreciate it if you just go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Uh, this program is there on, on a monthly basis, as long as we get it in on a monthly basis. Um, DIY Live Life, uh, we have a new uh, show about control called A State of Control uh, with, a, with one of our uh, really, really smart control buddies, uh, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. This month we tackled the ever, ever, uh, delicious question of who owns the code. So <laughs> that was an interesting conversation, to say the least. Uh, and also the weekly AV Week. So if you would, just check out the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been EdTech.